This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. Andrew D. Bailey, as you know, when I do these intros, is not going to be with me. But never fear, we are keeping our off-season outlook podcast series rolling. The Philadelphia 76ers are next up. Uh, we've brought on Chris Kraus. He covers the NBA for Hoops Rumors. Uh, he's a contributor to CNBC as well. You can follow him on Twitter at MBA Kraus. That's at MBA C R O U S E. Good follow on Twitter. Um, so definitely uh, fo- hit the follow button there for him. He also just published a piece where he talked to executives and scouts in the league, both past and present, and asked them to rank the best Anthony Davis trade assets among the teams most likely to be involved in the sweepstakes this summer, assuming that the Pelicans relent and do trade Anthony Davis, which we all believe that they ultimately will. So we get into that, those rankings. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Before we get started, just the usual housekeeping notes. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. We ask that you continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. You can also do that wherever else you consume your podcast, be it Art19, Google Play, Spotify, all those good things. But iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there and I am not rambling forever and only into the great abyss. And so we love seeing those ratings go up once again. And any reviews you have, leave them there. We're we're always checking it. Trust me. We appreciate everyone that's already done it. We just ask that. Those who haven't, do. And lastly, but not leastly, as I stutter through this, make sure you're following Blue Wire Pods at Blue Wire Pods. We have a lot of content coming out at the network, predominantly NBA, NBA draft, and NFL right now, but they are looking to expand in the sports realm. Just a ton of talented people, awesome podcasts, so be sure to check them all out. That's at Blue Wire Pods. With all that now out of the way, we get to Chris Krause to talk some Anthony Davis trade assets and Philadelphia 76ers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli coming at you once again without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. As we continue to keep our team-by-team off-season outlook series going, though, I am super pleased to be joined by Chris Krause. He covers the NBA for Hoops Rumors. He's also a contributor to CNBC. If you do not follow him on Twitter, you should change that immediately. He is at NBA Kraus. That's at NBA C R O U S E. 
We're going to be talking lots of Sixers today. Um, before we do that, though, we're going to get into some Anthony Davis trade asset rankings. Uh, before we really get into that, though, Chris, how are you doing? Good day, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Always a pleasure. He's, uh, this might be your third or fourth time on here, so you might officially be a frequent guest of the podcast. That might need to be the, the intro next time. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe like a official title. I get the frequent guest title. That's good. That's like an SNL five times club kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but way less popular. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you published a piece at Hoop Rumors. Um, it was the top 25 assets among presumed Anthony Davis contenders. And what you did, and I thought this was really interesting because uh, no one else has done this that I've seen. You talked to scouts, both past and present, executive both past, past and present, and um, you came up with this objective list it's subjective in their eyes but it was subjectively determined uh by their answers of the top 25 anthony davis trade assets and so number one i don't think it's a spoiler to say was jason tatum i'm wondering though what were your biggest surprises after that throughout this list when you look at the the rankings in their entirety yeah, and I mean, the whole list is really, it, it, it isn't that this player is definitively over uh, player X. You know, it, it, it's really more of a holistic view of how, how these are would kind of be tiered in the clusters, if you will. So you have like kind of a top tier and then the next tier and then as, as you go down and forth. Um, I expected Tatum to be far and beyond the number one guy, and that just wasn't the case. Yes, he is the number one overall. Everyone has him kind of within that top realm, but other people did prefer uh, other players. Like, Shea Gilius-Alexander uh, was one player I didn't expect to hear, uh, you know, number one. Someone said that, that yeah, he should be number one. Um, someone else was like, you know, the Knicks pick and, you know, I'd rather have a top three or top five pick this year. And, uh, you know, that's surprising considering Tatum is basically a sure thing. Tatum is someone you know at minimum is probably going to be able to be one of the top three players on a, on a contender. And, you know, that's, that's a floor, right? So you and how many how many of these prospects can you really say that for? So that was very surprising to me right off the top. Look, I mean, if if people are turned off by him just channeling his Kobe mentality, I understand it. But there, <laughs> there's definitely something to that. And he has two years left on his rookie scale contract, so it's not like a Jalen Brown situation where you have to worry about paying him. Almost yeah, right the, away. the funny thing about Brown, though, I, I don't, I don't think it's really a worry anymore. I know, I know you're gonna get, you're gonna get to a, a point where you know what he is, and I think a lot of uh, evaluators know what he is, but um, I don't think that second contract scares anyone. Oh, it would scare me. I don't want to have to give if Jason Tatum is still this after next year. I don't want to have to worry about giving him max money. And I think, again, I don't think that factors in too heavily. You once you get to the Brandon Ingram, who's extension eligible now. Same with Jalen Brown. It becomes more of a problem there. Even with Lonzo Ball, because he's just had two seasons plagued by injury. And so you, even if he has a good year, you worry about that next contract. I, too, was surprised that uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander ended up in that first tier. It was Tatum, one, Gilgis-Alexander, two. And then even the number three overall pick from the Knicks uh, at number three, I was surprised that that was – I could see it being you know close to – a top five or maybe in the, the second or third tier, but just based off what we know about this draft, I, you have to be, if, if you're picking this as one of the top three Anthony Davis trade assets, you essentially have to be really high on RJ Barrett because that's the guy who's going to be there at number three. Like it's not even, it's not even a question. Like the Grizzlies are going to draft Morant after new Orleans takes Zion. So 
you're going to end up with R.J. Barrett if you have the number three pick unless you're trading down. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the Knicks have talked about trading down, which I think is a little bit comical, and I know that's been covered at large on Twitter. But, um, yeah, Barrett is your guy there. And, um, you know, a lot of people are talking how there's a divide between the top three and everyone else. Um, but there's still value in everyone else. Like, the fourth pick is very valuable. Yeah, the, so the Lakers, uh, their fourth pick came in at number four. Memphis's top twenty, uh, top six protected twenty twenty first rounder from the Celtics came in at at number five. Definitely bodes well for them that they have two of the top five ones that shook out. Uh, the other th- uh, trade asset that I was surprised came so high, and I'm not just trying to roll through this, but Lonzo Ball was at six, which is um, I that's not I could see that the Mavericks is twenty twenty one unprotected first rounder though came in at number seven, and I mentioned that to you. It surprised me a little bit before we started recording. Um, did that? Did that shock you at all that it was so high? It was a little surprising. I mean, people were talking about this like it was a you know like a piece of gold asset, right? Um, and you would think, you know, with Luka Doncic and and Porzingis and and what they can build there, that the Mavs are going to come out and you know they're going to be in the playoffs, and you know this is a definitive you know like second half of the of the first round pick. That, that's probably not the case, or or at least it's not certain that, that that's the case, especially with you know the West and you have so many teams that have foundations in place. I know the Rockets are thinking about blowing things up. Um, you know, you have all these other teams that have decent infrastructures in place. And, you know, it, this, this pick's only two years away. It's not going to, you know, the league is going to change a lot. But, you know, a lot of these top contenders like the Nuggets, the Warriors, the Rockets, they're still going to be there. And, you know, if you look at who's definitively going to be worse than the Mavericks, you know, you can say the Grizzlies. And, and, it's, it, and it's probably going to be the Grizzlies. And what other team can you say is definitively going to be below them? In the West, rather. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I you, I think you have to talk yourself into just Kristaps Porzingis not living up to that next contract or being injury-prone for it to be up there for me. I, unprotected first-rounders now are just more valuable than ever when you look at uh, just the importance of having cost-controlled assets and how much rookies cost now, even under the new salary scale. I know it's all percentage-based, but those numbers get pretty high up there. And so I, I, once you see unprotected um, and particularly with the way the new lottery odds are, I think there's definitely value there. The other thing I'm going to say this right now. So Kyle Kuzma came in at number eight, Jalen Brown, number nine. I think that's debatable. Here's where this starts to lose me. Kevin Knox at number 10 over Mitchell Robinson over Landry Shamit at number 12. Robinson was 11 over that Miami pick. Um, no, for me, it just over Brandon Ingram as well. I just don't, Kevin Knox is, I'll throw efficiency out the window for a rookie season. And he showed that he could run some pick and roll has kind of a nice floater, but I don't to put him over some of these other guys after the year that he had, it still was one of the least efficient rookie seasons in, in NBA history. And I don't know if he's ever going to be a net neutral defender. So I get that he fits an archetype. I'm, I'm just very surprised to see him over so many of those other assets. I was too. I'm right there with you. I mean, that season that he had, you would think he'd be knocked down, you know, at least below Mitchell Robinson. Um, I think the concern is that if Mitchell Robinson is the best version of what he's going to do, you're looking at Hassan Whiteside, you're looking at um, a better version of DeAndre Jordan, and you're looking at it for a cost-controlled amount, right? But that's not even a certainty that that's going to happen, right? You, you, he still has a long way to go to, to learn how to play. And, you know, when, you, when you're looking at these other players that Knox is over, it's really about the potential when you're getting this far kind of down the list. Um, I think the potential there, uh, 
you know, it, in a way outweighs out, outweighs to some of the certainties of these other players. And also, Kevin Knox is not going to be the headliner of the Anthony Davis package. He's going to be, you know, if they if 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 the Pelicans have to pick one, like between him or Robinson, or they could they might just get both. You know, if, if they are trading for Anthony Davis, um, just kind of where the chips kind of fall there. And um, it, it's also worth noting that the Pelicans weren't one of my sources, so. You know, we don't have a good idea of exactly which one of these, which one of these pieces, and which one of these assets that uh, they particularly care for. The last one I kind of want to talk about was the the heat pick. Uh, the heat pick from um, uh, the Clippers came in at number thirteen A. Again, this is all tiered. It was in the same tier as Landry Shamit at number twelve, and then the number fourteen pick this year from the Celtics. I know that the Heat are never rebuilding, but there is. We just talked about the value of having unprotected first rounders in general. There's a chance that they're going to be really bad in 2021. I know Pat Riley has designs on signing two stars in 2020. One, he has to create more cap space to do it. And two, that's not the summer to go all in on stars because after Anthony Davis, the cornerstone pool is just, you know, Draymond Green should be a free agent. That's that's fine. I guess if you have Kawhi signing a one plus one, he might be available, but there's really that. That free agency class doesn't have a ton of star depth. And so you look at that 2020-2021 season, and if the Heat aren't able to create that cap space and they they stand relatively pat, which is a distinct possibility, they're not going to be a good team that season. I mean, you can see that scenario playing out exactly like you just named it. Um, They don't have that guy that's going to keep them in the playoffs every year. I mean, they were in the playoffs this past year. Um, but I think there's some confidence around the league that that is a glamour location. And at some point you have to kind of evaluate the risk that they're not going to uh, cash in on that. And I don't think a lot of people will tell you that's, a, that's, you know, a, a very good gamble. Uh, for me, I probably want that asset, right? If I, if, especially if I'm trading Anthony Davis to the Clippers, there's no way I don't, I don't get that asset. Um, but yeah, That's I see true. exactly what you're saying there. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a situation where you're like, okay, this uncertainty with this kind of upside, but there's also, you know, there's also the other side of it too. It, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a variable. I guess these picks that we're talking about, the Mavericks one, even though it was pretty high in this heat one, they fall lower depending on what New Orleans wants to do in the aftermath of a Davis trade. And there's just still some debate about that because David Griffin said Drew Holiday is going to remain part of the core no matter what. And so if you have him, there might be, you're not obligated to, but the thinking would be that they're not trying to bottom out. So these distant picks aren't going to, in theory, do as much in their service as getting a pick this year along with tangible players. And then maybe that's where, particularly uh, a pick like the Heats or or even Dallas is where they're not going to convey, not even just not next season, but until the season after that, it's I guess that's where their value could potentially begin to fall apart. But again, if you're going to, I might, I want that heat pick more than I want that Mavericks pick is basically all I'm saying. I mean, Hey, you know that it, like, this is not a definitive list of, you know, like it's not, oh, I'm not, I'm either, not really you know? against you or your sources. <laughs> I just objectively, um, and I don't even think he's going to end up on the Clippers, but I want, I'm just surprised that the Clippers one is so low relative to where Dallas's was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is it is a, uh, you know, it, it is a valuable pick. And all these, you know, the distance between like 7 and 13 on this list, you know, isn't necessarily like a wide gap, right? Like, like none of these, none of these assets aside from probably your top tier and, and, and maybe if you include that fourth pick in the Memphis pick are definitive blue trippers, right? Like the Lakers and Lonzo Ball aren't going to be able to, they're not going to be able to put a package around Lonzo Ball. 
The Knicks aren't going to be able to do it around Kevin Knox. The Clippers aren't going to be able to do it around Shamit or this other pick. And, uh, you know, so it's really about what, what does the team prefer and, you know, what, what do the Pelicans prefer? Are they going to come out and say, hey, we want to have a contender right now or we're, we're okay with taking all these picks, hunting another year, hunting the first year of Zion and, and really building for the long haul. Um, and right now there's no, you, you know, there's no way of telling. I mean, they're still trying to figure out how to get Anthony Davis to stay there. This is my actual, actual last, last one. If the Lakers fans are looking to get triggered by something, Brandon Ingram comes in at number 20 after the Sixers' 2020 lottery protected first round, and that's also owed to the Clippers. I would say your justification is on the money. He's coming back from that, uh, from those health concerns, and the, the blood clots are just scary in the NBA at this point because you don't know if they're going to become reoccurring. And then there's that, and I talked about this before, and I think we've also discussed it before we hopped on, is the prospect of having to pay him immediately. Uh, and last, 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 lastly, I still think having um, Wagner over uh, Neil Aquina is wild. If you put him in a competent organization that knows how to use his defensive versatility and is willing to commit to him as a consistent offensive piece, whether it's if you don't want him running the offense, fine, but then don't don't treat him as something other than an off guard. There's just so much inconsistency in New York with the way he's deployed. I still have faith in, in Frank Nielakina, and there's there's a chance that I'd put him above Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, I I think I might too. You, you, it depends on what you're looking for, right? If you, if Dennis Smith Jr. is, you know, if you need a score first guard and you want someone who's going to contribute right now and be able to you know put up points for you, then Dennis Smith Jr. is your guy, right? If you want the long term upside, then uh, Frank's Frank's got to be your point guard. And I'm I'm right there with you on the on the upside of Nielakina uh, because, I mean, the dude. The dude hasn't got really an opportunity. I mean, he's he hasn't showed anything in the time that he has and the time that he's gone with New York. But you know, there's there's upside there, and some team's going to get him for you know. New York says they want a late first round or second round pick. I'd be very surprised if they got a first rounder for him. Uh, but some team's going to potentially get a high upside pick for a second round pick. With all of that, this Anthony Davis stuff, I feel like we talk about it too much, but it's it's it has to be talked about because it there, there's it's ongoing. And while the Pelicans are trying to keep him, I don't think anyone expects them to succeed. Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations Podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. With that out of the way, though, we move on to our Philadelphia 76ers offseason outlook. There's, I don't, it's not that I don't like doing teams like this because I love free agency and the, the transactions from it, but there's very little to get into when it comes to just evaluating uh, the incumbents because once you get beyond the starting lineup, there's just so much makeshift stuff going on. Um, and for that reason, we have to start with their just contract decisions. Do you think that they should? I know they're obligated to um, after giving up so much to get Harris and Jimmy Butler. But do you think that they they should run it back? I'm talking with their core four, uh, JJ Redick as well. Or or do you see there needing to be sub substantial change, knowing that not next season, but the season after, depending on what uh, extension or contract Ben Simmons ends up qualifying for, those four players, Embiid, Simmons, Butler and Harris could, are probably going to cost between if they're all maxed out 129 and $135 million. 
Yeah, I mean, this is if, if they bring these guys back, this is a team for the foreseeable future. That and, the cap in the following <laughs> season, by the way, is currently one sixteen. So you're going to be almost fifteen million dollars over the cap. Again, if you there's things that could happen with Butler and Harris. Maybe they don't take the max if they're getting five year deals, but to be like ten to fifteen million dollars over the cap after paying four players when two of those players aren't Stephen Curry or Kevin Durant, uh, that's that's interesting. Is all I can really say. Yeah, no, you're turning into the East Coast version of the Portland Trailblazers, right? And you know, we saw we saw what they could do this past season. You know, get to the conference finals, and the Sixers could have easily got there. I mean, they were one shot away from getting there this year. Um, the problem is you don't have a large sample size to really evaluate these these guys all together. Um, they're they're starting five. You know, Simmons, Butler, Mid, and um, uh, Harrison and Reddick play ten games during the regular season together because of all of uh, Joel's woes and and Simmons missed a, missed a few games and Butler also sat out for rest as well. Um, ten, they played ten games. They put eleven in the playoffs and. During those 11 games and during during the playoffs, out of all lineups with 100 minutes, they were the highest net rating. Out of all lineups with 50 minutes, only Toronto's with uh, Fred Van Fleet and, uh, and Norman Powell with, with Kawhi Ibaka uh, in there got uh, above the Sixers. So you see the upside there. It's just they during the playoffs they had no one else to go to. They couldn't. They had. They literally have no bench. And it was it was it was kind of you know kind of sad to watch how the how how many assets they had and how this is what they ended up with. But um, the summer's coming. They're able to, you know, they're going to have tools to add around these guys if they can bring these guys back. Yeah, and they held up in the playoffs, too. They played 353 possessions together outside garbage time per cleaning the glass. Offensive rating of 117, defensive rating of 90.3 for uh, a net rating of plus 26.7, which I think is the highest net rating of any lineup in the playoffs with a minimum of 50 possessions played. So... There's potential there with them, but it's it does kind of get the question becomes is how do you then flesh out the the rest of the roster around them? And we're gonna get to that, but I, I first want to ask, and it's two separate questions, who is their most important free agent? And then of the three of Jimmy Butler, JJ Reddick, and Tobias Harris, who do you think is most likely to leave? Ooh, um, I think their most important is Jimmy Butler, and I think Jimmy Butler is most likely to leave. That and is, I yeah, totally that's agree. So scary. That's, that's <laughs> like, it was weird because was there before tug before tug, there was a tug of war going on at least for me beforehand, and I'm wondering if it was that way for you. Before Jimmy Butler, I knew that he was valuable to them in crunch time, but after the Tobias Harris trade, I still think that this question, not the le- most likely to leave question, but the who's most important was sort of up in the air because if you wanted to keep Simmons and Embiid, it, it seemed like maybe Butler wasn't the squeakiest, cleanest fit. And then all of a sudden he takes over so much of the offense in the playoffs. And now it's like, Oh, Holy crap. He's, he's more essential than we thought. Yeah. And you know, when you, when you look at the both of them, right, Harris is so great in what he does, but you know, now if Jimmy leaves, you're asking him to be the third guy and Maybe he can do that. Maybe he can develop that. He's only 26. When you say only 26, a lot of a lot of players don't actually get their peak until until right around this age, as far as everything that he can do, or anything that a player can do. But I, I think if you're if you're the Sixers, you're, you're I wouldn't worry about giving Jimmy Butler a long term deal. Maybe you can if you can get away with not giving that fifth year on there. Uh, that's really the way to go. But yeah, I mean, I think you have to bring back Jimmy Butler at any cost. And then I just want to buy, and you made a good point about Tobias Harris's age. His five-year contract for him is only going to take him through his age 31 season. So 
there's even if you're going to have to give Jimmy Butler a five year deal, I don't know if you want to trade that within the first three years of being signed. I think that you can. And the the more the harder question for me is: Are you now willing to pay Tobias Harris max money to be your fourth option? Uh, he shot only twenty seven point nine percent from three against Toronto. Was under thirty one percent on catch and shoot threes in that series as well. I don't think that's the baseline for him, but there just were with Jimmy Butler controlling so much of the offense and having Embiid and having Simmons. There were just stretches where he disappeared, and you have to start asking yourself, can we approximate 75 80% of what he can do for much cheaper? But at the same time, can you justify letting him walk at all after you gave up? I would say just looking at the net balance of those assets more for him than you did for Jimmy Butler. Oh, most definitely. I mean, as far as you, if you were, if you were lining up some sort of quantitative value, most definitely. I mean, four picks and then, uh, you know, you throw in Shamit, who, why'd they throw in Shamit? I, I will never understand because it just seems like he would have been a perfect six guy, right? And especially at his cost and, you know, having three more years of that cost control deal. Um, but, but yeah, I think they, you know, they're going to have to pay Harrison Max. If, if they don't do it, someone else will. I mean, he has a, a long list of suitors. That feel like yeah he they uh, Harris can be the guy that comes in and, and becomes a second star the third star and is an easy transition into rival teams um, rival teams lineups. So do you think if you had a guess right now looking at Butler Harris and JJ Redick are all three of them back or do you think yes. one of them is going to end up? You do think all three of them are coming back? I, I think if you're going to go into the max, you're going to go on the max for Jimmy. You're going to go the max for Harris. You know, they can they can they can go over the cap to bring back Reddick back. And I, I think you just go all you're all in on this lineup, and then you try to you know put the parts around it that makes sense. With Reddick, it's interesting because you. I'm assuming this is my guess. I'm sure maybe there's a team out there that might pay him more in the short term, but he's probably looking at a pay cut or at least definitely not a raise. I don't, his cap hold is 15.9 million. I believe Uh, I'm not paying him that. So if, if you get him and this could change based on what Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris signed for at all, if you're going to waive Jonathan Simmons and you have Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris at the max there, there still is a path to you re-signing JJ Redick um, and then remaining within or you'll you'll retain access to the non-taxpayers mid-level exception for nine point two million dollars, and so I, I, you don't necessarily want to hard cap yourself because if you invest all of that money in one player or even two, you still have to worry about fleshing out the uh, rest of your bench. But are there any free agents that? Well, first, that what one is what's the bigger need for them? You look at backup center, backup point guard. Is it just role player shooting wings? And then are there any free agents that have? caught your eye that you think would be fantastic fits that they should be taking a look at. Yeah. I mean, assuming they bring back Butler, I think you're okay in the backup point guard position, right? You have Simmons, you, you can throw, you know, I, I would say McConnell's going to come back, you know, they're going to bring him back at a low number and, you know, he really shouldn't be playing in the playoffs, but Jimmy Butler can be your backup point guard. Really. I mean, if you, if you shuffle the rotation where you have either him or Simmons on the floor at all times, you're good with ball handling. Uh, I think wing is the ultimate thing that they need. They need more. They're going to need more wings, especially if they go that route. Um, and if you look down the list, nine nine point two million will, you know, that that that'll get you a nice player. Um, 
it's just a matter of who's available for that price because there's, there's going to be so many teams shuffling their rosters. Uh, I would go, I would kind of do what the Pistons did. Uh, I, I believe it was last year and they split up the middle, mid level between three players. Uh, one of the situations I could see is reuniting the Morris brothers on, uh, on Philly. Now, Marcus Morris is probably more valuable at this point, you know, 37.5 from three last year. Uh, I think he could fit a nice need. He can be a better version of Mike Scott. And, um, you know, if you, if you bring in Markeith, now you have extra, extra depth in the front court. And see, that right there just makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. If you can get them both for that number, though, too. You know, they, 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 they took a discount once before to be on the same team. And then, you know, we saw how that worked out in Phoenix. So, you know, it, it's a, maybe they'd be a little wary of doing that again. But I think that would be a nice area to, or a nice couple of players to target right there. I think it's possible. It it would depend mostly on Marcus Morris. I think at this point, like you said, uh, up and down season in Boston, but he still he he was one of their most consistent shooters for most of the season. And I don't think Markeith is going to have a, a a fairly aggressive market just because he wasn't playing well last year, and then he had the injury, and he wasn't too great in Oklahoma City after he signed there. Uh, so that's an interesting option. I might lean toward more guaranteed shooting because I don't know if Marcus Markeith Morris is not a guaranteed spacer and. Marcus Morris again. He had a good season from three, but uh, he was he was topsy turvy from there as well. And there's also you know you bring when you bring up two players. That's a good point. It's I don't know if that this is something you can. You're probably looking at splitting it between two guys. I would like Danny Green on this roster, but he probably costs your entire mid level. And then what are you, who and what are you fleshing out the roster with? Uh, you can still get probably to the non taxpayers mid level while keeping McConnell's. Uh, hold and, and resigning him. I doubt he has much of a market after the turn that that his season took. Uh, but you're probably looking at maybe even players who are just going to cost around half of that. Maybe like a Damari Carroll might be a good fit for them. If James Ennis is in that price range, that's definitely someone they should look at bringing back after after he opted out. Yeah, and Ennis, he made himself some money this postseason. And uh, I wonder if they're going to be able to bring him back on any decent number. Um, you know, he could be, he could be the Solomon Hill of this free agent class. <laughs> and, you know, if you're a Sixers, if you're, if you're a Sixers front office, you can't be the team that gives them that contract because you just, you, you have too much, you have, you have too many other things going on. I actually think it won't be as bad. He definitely earned himself some money and it's still wild to me that the Rockets just gave him away, particularly when you look yeah, at that. Yeah. That <laughs> Literally they gave him away and they could have used them. They could have used them. The one thing that they can't do, and there's been, uh, a swath of Sixers Twitter, that wants them to use their mid-level, whatever version, on Dwayne Dedman. I don't argue against him being a really good fit and the fact that Dwayne Dedman is just really, really good. Uh, I know this is like having a little too much fun with numbers, but this is one of my favorite cherry-pick stats um, of the year. The only other player who matched Dedman's defensive rebound, steal, and block percentages this season while making at least 25 three-pointers was Giannis. So he's his three-point shooting is legit. He had a ton of above-the-break threes with Atlanta. I'm not spending real money on a big when I have Joel Embiid on a max deal. I get the need to have a competent backup center, uh, but do you have any faith in Jonah Bolden still? So he's on the roster if you want to use him at the five. Uh, I do think the call to play Ben Simmons at center is probably just a little too strong. I don't know that I want to see him there defensively, but I think you can at least try it for some minutes where he's your de facto big and you're using him and uh, maybe it's him and Jonah Bolden together or just him and if if you're bringing a Mike Scott back or something I'm not spending real money on a center and Deadman's going to cost you real money 
So what's a step down from a unicorn? Because that's really what that's really what Deadman is, right? He's like he's like a mini unicorn. A full? He, he just is, that, does... is that what they're called? A full? I have no idea. Maybe yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll call him, we'll call him that. I mean, he'd be fantastic for the Sixers. I mean, you you, you don't want to spend too many resources, but they will go after someone. They will they will try to bring in another person um, to compete with Bolden because uh, the health of Joel is not certain. And you know, when I when I talked to a couple of executives from. Uh, for that piece that I did uh, for the top 25, Andy Davis, uh, they all said to me, you know, basically that 2026 pick is not certain to fall at, you know, the very end of the lottery, especially with, you know, the free agency situation and the health of Joel. Uh, you know, you they want to bring someone in there for insurance. And that's a heavy, I mean, they're already paying a heavy price, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, you can definitely see the concerns. Like, you know, you want to kind of like balance your roster, you know, spend a little more in the wings since you're already paying a max contract there. Uh, but I, I still think they'll explore, uh, you know, centers on the open market, and you know, it might be it might be the best bang for your buck there. Uh, you know, we, we saw a lot of centers last year get, uh, very, you know, for for the mid level for the biennial exception. Look at Brooke Lopez. Look at Ed Davis out in um, in Brooklyn, and you know, you can you can find a guy that's going to be very productive in that spot uh, for for a decent price. Of the other incumbent free agents that they have, and I know we mentioned some of them, uh, you have McConnell, Mike Scott, Ennis. Uh, who do you? We know we know uh, Cork Mass is Mass is gone uh, just because they declined his team option, and he he came out after the season was like, I asked for a trade, and they wouldn't move me. <laughs> uh, well, just- sad to see him go, though. You know, because I, I almost wish they didn't do that because really, you know, you could see a situation where if he if he was if they had this roster at the beginning of the year, he would have played a role all year, and maybe things would have been different. Look, if you just had him as a standstill shooter, there's a chance that he's someone that could play minutes for them. So, but I mean, he's gone. Um, I'm assuming they're going to waive Jonathan Simmons. I'd be shocked if they didn't. But I, I think what's interesting, also Justin Patton. That's you know, I'm I'm upfront about when I miss in the draft, which is a lot. I was infatuated with him coming out of college, and that uh, that didn't pan out too well. But I'm, I'm mainly looking at Ennis McConnell and Mike Scott at this point, and I'm actually a little bit surprised that you assumed that McConnell was going to be back because I know his market has probably cratered. There was, if they really could have gotten a first round pick for him at the beginning of the year, boy, did, did they miss out? I just don't think that he works on this roster. And even if he does during the regular season that you can't play him in the playoffs is, I, I it just, it, for me, it's like a non-starter. Yeah. I mean, if, if they could have got a first round pick, they would have done it. I, I don't really buy all that, but, but hey, the reports were out there. Uh, but if he if he signs for anything more than the minimum, then I don't think it'll be in Philadelphia. But I think if if he signs for a minimum contract, like I probably expect him to. Uh, I think I think Philadelphia is a nice fit. You know, obviously a fan favorite here, uh, and he he seems content with not playing in the playoffs when, or, or at least at least like accepting of his role. Uh, you know, I hey, you know, McConnell's done a good job for for kind of for what he is. I will say this about McConnell. I like the dry hair look better than the, the wet hair look. He looks a little too murdery when his when his hair is plastered down with too much product. In case anybody <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the next NBA math article. If we need we need the uh, the different kind of hairs and we put uh, together a tableau chart. Yeah, ranking the most murdery looking haircuts in the the NBA. Um, Ennis or Mike Scott? Do you see any of them becoming a priority? You already touched on Ennis a little bit. I mean, I'm sure they would like to bring him back. I mean, he, you know, if, if you if you put him down the ranks a little bit and make him your eighth guy or ninth guy, he's fantastic there. And it's just a matter of, is he priced out of that spot? Uh, and um, same with Mike Scott. I mean, they're going to have to use some of the level to bring him back. 
they're going to use they're going to use salary cap space to bring him back. Uh, and maybe they do that. Maybe they see him as a part of, of the team. Um, and he, he might not actually he he might not even fetch that much on the market. It really comes down to the price that Mike Scott gets when he's coming back. Because anything in the, in the three to four five million dollar range, uh, even for one season, I don't see it. I don't see it with Philadelphia. No, I, I would actually be a little bit surprised if he ended up getting that much money. And and the Sixers were uh they were killed statistically anyway when you had Mike Scott and Ben Simmons playing without Joel Embiid. So it's not if you can't count on him to be like you know, where Ben Simmons is interchangeable with another big, uh that's you don't want to get into that for more than uh about about minimum money. Uh, I am like you, like you said before. I'm definitely interested to see what James Ennis winds up getting. I don't think he's going to get a ton of money, but he did. He made himself some extra cash during that postseason push. And so, if you lose him, that all of a sudden, probably even though he's not as big, that all of a sudden increases the importance of Zaire Smith. And it's what is what do you think the plan is for him now? He obviously was dealing with the injury for most of the year. He's not especially big, but he has. Uh, a wingspan around 6'10". Is that someone that they're hoping can fill a wing-type role for them? Or do you think that he's going to that, – that that's not even going to – he's one of those players where it's a – I'm using Denzel Valentine as an example because, like, maybe you could play mm-hmm. him at the three for a little bit, but he's not really a wing. Uh, I, think eventually he'll, I think eventually he'll settle on as a wing. He's a lot of upside. And I think the Sixers – really hope that no matter who they bring in on the wing, that he beats them out and, and basically steals their minutes. Um, whether that happens or not is why they're going to bring in another guy. Like they, they can't exactly count on him right now. So to be the guy, especially after not being able to play for most of his, or not being able to play really at all um, for, for the season. And, you know, but I, you know, if you're, if you're the Sixers, you're looking at him and you're saying, okay, we really like, we, we like what we have. We like where we're going with him. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, trying to compete right now. And they don't have the luxury that a lot of other teams with younger players do where, where they had in the past where they can kind of see it out. There's, there might be a chance that they don't have a choice next year though, depending on how many players they lose from this roster or who they're able to even flesh out the rest of the rotation with after the starting five. Yeah, that's exactly it too. You know I mean? They got, they have seven guys under contract right now and Jonathan Simmons is, is, well, I mean, Jimmy Butler is going to opt out and same with Dennis, but um, they're, they're basically going to be looking at seven and then they're going to, they're, I mean, I, like, like you're surprised. I'd be surprised too. Or I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, drop Jonathan Simmons because, um, he's only got 1 million guaranteed, $6 million, $6 million yeah, contract. They didn't even, they didn't even play him. So that's... Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. I mean, he went from, you know, playoff hero for the Spurs and then, you know, kind of like wandered around the East coast. Uh, it's not a, it's not great, but maybe, maybe he'll land on his feet somewhere. Maybe he goes back to the Spurs. <laughs> Um, it'd be funny if he leaves, ends up panning out, and then Markel Fultz ends up panning out in Orlando, um, and then oh, I, I have high hopes for Fultz. I really, I you know, down there in Orlando, I, I went down to a Magic game, talked to some Magic people. They're very hopeful. They're when when they say patience, it, it's, it it means something different than when Elton Brand and the Philadelphia Brass say patience, right? Because they can be more patient, right? Um, so hopefully that infrastructure uh, does really well for him. Yeah, there it's wild to me the number of people who think that he's never going to play in the NBA again. That's like. That's conspiracy level take. That's uh, there's no evidence <laughs> to suggest that he's just never going to take the floor again. I don't know. I mean, like, it's too talented not even to not even to try. I mean, could could the Sixers have gotten more for him or maybe different assets for him? Sure. 
Um, you know, and then that's maybe that's maybe part of the skepticism that oh, well, they couldn't really get anything because I mean, in reality, it's a couple of second round picks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the upside's there, and he's gonna he's gonna come. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's Orlando's starting point guard by the end of next season, um, just because they don't have any other options right now. Unless they go out and get one of these big guys, and unless they sign a Kemba Walker, unless they trade for Chris Paul or do any of these uh, <laughs> massive deals, like I wouldn't, I like I. I'd probably bet on him being the starting point guard by the end of next year for them. Yeah, I I wouldn't even doubt that. My hopes are still high for for him as well. So when you're looking at the Sixers next year, now we can get into some actual roster stuff. If they bring back Jimmy Butler, does it increase the likelihood that Ben Simmons trade rumors potentially pick up at midseason next year? Because if, let's just say that they don't improve, um, Ben Simmons isn't shooting mid-range jumpers yet, or he's shooting them and they're you know coming up air, there's still this yes there is there's there's talent there in the starting lineup and they dominate but it there there still will be at least something to the idea well you can change out i'm not going to say it has to be simmons because uh, ben simmons is a fantastic basketball player but when looking at the personnel you could have around him there might be something to this notion of well if you move him and maybe you can exchange him for some really just high-end shooters Live live iPhone call from people, so everyone everyone could get a taste of that. <laughs> hey, you know, probably a man right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm just wondering, is that is that at all something that you could see happening, or do you think that if they bring back Jimmy Butler and run it back, that they're just going to lock themselves into this court at least through next season for you know better or I'll say slightly worse because I don't think they're going to be a bad team. It's just once you start talking about the depth questions. And what's going to happen if Ben Simmons doesn't expand his offensive range even a little bit? Uh, it, it it is it is an interesting thing to consider. I don't know who you trade him for, but I, it's I think it's a topic that could end up being broached again next year. Oh, most definitely. And he, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a rival team, I'm buying low on Ben Simmons. Um, I think I think he comes back. I think he he looks better. I think he I think he eventually develops a shot, whether it comes next year, whether it comes a year after. And um, you know he's got one more year left on this rookie deal. Uh, I don't see him getting traded until after that signed, um, because at that point, you know, you're going to have probably four more years of of, of cost, at least knowing what you're going to be paying Ben Simmons. Because uh, regardless of whether you trade for him now or then, you're going to be paying him that amount. He's, he's going to get a max extension. And if I'm the Sixers, I want to see this out. Like I said, they only have 21 games with these five as a starting lineup. Like I want to right. see, I want to see more. I, I, I just want to see a larger sample size. And I think they take the whole season before they start making any sort of like, you know, trading a guy like Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is a, he has a ceiling to be, he could be Giannis. He could be the MVP caliber player. Um, he's, I mean, he's got to put in the work. He's got to get there now. And, if you buy, I think I think you're right there because when you look at the rest of the roster too, you know Ben Simmons, the eight million dollars or the eight million dollars salary isn't nothing, but on its own, on its face, you're not, you can't get a great player for that when you don't have cap space to work with, and you're not going to trade if you're moving him. Presumably, let's say one of your other three max guys with Butler, Harris, or Embiid, and you don't really have any salary filler that you can deem expendable. Uh, Smith certainly isn't expendable. Bolden makes peanuts. T.J. McConnell is going to be making peanuts in his next contract. So if you wait to move him until now we're talking once, you know, unless you sign him to an extension, which is, which is possible. But if you wait to sign him until restricted free agency, then you have to wait months afterwards, but you can get more for him when he has a, when he counts more against the cap. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I, who who are you going to go get right now that's on a rookie scale contract that another team is going to trade, and then that will make this team better, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know who that player is, and maybe someone comes out of this draft and surprises, and and you're like, oh wow, this is you know right around the value range of a Simmons, and maybe the other team prefers Simmons, but I just, I, I just don't see it. I don't know. I don't know who you get at this cap figure that would be that impactful. I think you just got to. I think you just got to pay him, and you got to go forward with this team and. Or else you, you might be looking at a James Harden situation where you think you want to put pieces around the rest of the team and Simmons flourishes somewhere else. Yeah, again, I, I think I'm definitely in lockstep with you um, there. Do you think then that next season we're going to see Ben Simmons try to expand his range? Will he actually be? I don't think he's going to be taking threes. Maybe he does, but where he's actually going to be taking maybe mid range jumpers or or even more floaters or something. Yeah, something's going to happen. I mean, I could see him taking threes, too. Like, I mean, you could see him focusing on, like, one or two areas and, um, you know, coming out. And, I mean, he takes them in pregame. I, I've seen him make five straight, which I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people, you know, in the Twitter feeds are going to be like, you know, I don't believe that. But I, I, he shoots during pregame. He worked really well with Monte Williams. Monte Williams is working with him on on on, on basically uh, all parts of his game. And... I think you're going to see the the development of his game. It kind of, you know, it got it got stagnant this past year, but uh, he'll get over this hump. Um, where, where, where do you kind of see him falling? Do you see him? You see him coming back and having any sort of any sort of range? I think they're going to force it at least early on. I, again, I don't know if it's going to be threes, but getting a mid range game is going to be integral to them uh, just making things work in the macro. It's just, in the starting lineup. It's fine because there's so much talent, but when you start breaking them up and staggering minutes and, and in the event that you lose some of the free agents if you to me if you want the Joel Embiid Ben Simmons thing to work long term and again the statistics are good but if you want it to work long term I think he he needs something else and if it's a matter of him uh taking threes in, in semi-volume at some point I, I think they're just gonna end up forcing it but I, I think next season there will be that change whether it's he's just gonna be taking a lot of set threes um, knowing that teams are going to leave him unattended, or maybe we see him take mid-rangers off the dribble. One of those things, it, I, I would guess, is going to happen right out of the gate because it needs to happen, and you need to test it out in games. It can't be this, we know he's worked on it. It can't be this behind-the-scenes thing anymore. Yeah, and I think you I think you labeled it right. Um, they're going to force it, and this whole thing is forced, really. I mean, these are a bunch of pieces that don't exactly fit together, um, you know, and but it's what they have, and... and it's a lot better than what a lot of other teams have. So, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. They're going to try to make him into what they want him to be. And, you know, you, you hope that Brett Brown can get the most out of him. Last question before we get to the listener mailbag that I have teed up. Joel Embiid, uh, is he just going to be a guy that plays 60 to 65 games in the regular season from here on, and that's what you hope to get out of him? Or do you is there going to be a year – where he just he feels more like a regular player i think this is a regular player for him i mean this is this is i think you're gonna see a regular season i mean this was year one of the extent of the max deal right and, and at least until you get halfway through that 75 percent way through that like i don't think you're going to be taking risks with you know you're not going to be taking risks so you can do the back-to-back against the suns uh i, I think right now you're looking at 60 games and you know, yes, that hurts him when you're talking about MVP. That hurts him when you're talking about All NBA. Uh, that, that, that's going to hurt him, you know, with those kind of things. But if he's healthy for the playoffs, I mean, that's all you really want. And this is almost a new norm. I mean, you saw it with Kawhi in Toronto, kind of the load management. This load management thing isn't going away. 
if it gets more popular, then maybe that'll help his MVP case. If you just, you know, LeBron's a little bit older, James Harden's getting older, Kawhi's already on a maintenance program. Uh, That's a great point. Yeah, no, yeah. If everyone starts doing it, then you're not, now it's the new norm, and now it's you know now you're like, now you're comparing apples to apples. Um. So yeah, I think I'm with you there, and he's just so important that if even if he's healthy enough, it's not worth it in the regular season because of how much you need him in the playoffs. And we, we saw it at times against the Brooklyn Nets. We saw it definitely in their series with the Raptors when he was just off the floor at some points. They just really couldn't function. So if it's, I don't want to say it's annoying to not have him available for the entirety of the regular season. There's definitely, there's more comfort in knowing that your superstar doesn't have to be managed so specifically, but even if he's just healthy and there, we don't see problems with his knees or or with his back or he's in the best shape of his career and he's able to um, practice more and he's better stamina on the court. I just don't think we'll ever at least not within the next two years, maybe three. I don't think he, the Sixers will ever get to a point where they're trying to make him play 70 games in a season. I think that 60 to 64, 65 area is going to end up being his sweet spot. Yeah, and having all these other guys, these other max guys are going to help with that. Because, you know, you say, like, Harris is the fourth option. Well, I'm, on 20 games a season, he's going to be the third option. And he might even be the second option, depending on who else is playing. So, um, you know, I think that's part of the calculus. Uh, you know, Joel being on that kind of plan for at least next season um, and maybe the season after that. We're going to move on to the listener mailbag portion of this. There will be some overlap with the topics, but this is just a way for our listeners to get their two cents in, but also just some quick hitters to the overarching conversations. This one is not an overlap, and I'm asking it because I actually find it, um, I don't want to say, I feel like comical is insulting, but I, I, I dig the boldness of it from CWR at carry underscore Reynolds 11. What would it take for Philly to trade for Nick Batum? Oh, um, <laughs> um, blackmail. Um, <laughs> no, no, I don't, no, I don't want to say it because, because Nick Batum, I mean, you know, he, he can't play for his price, but like, he's still, he's still, you know, you, you would hope he can be a rotation player, uh, a buyout. Uh, well, that's not a trade, but yeah, I mean, he, he would be, um, well, I don't know. Uh, here's the, here's would be the scenario in my, my mind. And I don't, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, let me hear yours. Cause this it would is, be yeah. Harris and Butler leave. <laughs> so now the Sixers actually have cap space and the Hornets are offering miles bridges or this year's pick as the sweetener to go with Nicholas Batum, because in theory, and my wild idea, I published a 13,000-word offseason preview for every team. My wild idea was if Oklahoma City wants a chance at elevating its its ceiling, you need to offer Dennis Schroeder and Patrick Patterson for Nicholas Batum and then see what else Charlotte's willing to attach to that, whether it's a pick, um, a young player or two that they have. Because he's still – I think he can still be good. It's that Charlotte needs him this, – this season was abysmal. He was – uh, I think dead last or second to last in usage rate on the team for the year, but you don't, we view him in against his contract, which is, it's fair, but the, the Hornets need him to be their second best player. If you can throw him somewhere and need to say like, Hey, you could be our fourth best player. That's all you need to be. Maybe it works out. And so the scenario for the Sixers, and I don't even think this is, per, at, even if this came to bear. I don't think that they would take on Nicholas Batum, but they would have to lose both Harris and Butler, and Charlotte would be have to would have to be offering a hell of a lot to get off his contract, which they're not the type of team that's that's going to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I just don't think they have the asset for it, right? Like, if, if Butler well, and Harris both leave, Bridges, the Sixers have cap space. If you gave me Miles Bridges and the Sixers lost their two free agents, so they're working with cap space, I might do it. I'm not going to lie. I'm really high on Miles Bridges. I don't think the Hornets should offer that because what are you, what are you trying to clear that money for just to not uh, pay the luxury tax? You could re-sign Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lamb. That's not, you know, that, that's franchise malpractice at that point. I'm just saying if that's the level of sweetener they get or if it's an unprotected pick down the line, he's got two years left. You, you need someone for next season. If you lose your two incumbent stars, I doubt it's because you're signing another star. That, but that again, that's the that to me is what would have to happen. Yeah, yeah, and and, and from Charlotte's uh, standpoint, you're like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what, what, what purpose? I mean, maybe Kemba comes back and says, hey, I want to play with Jimmy Butler. Make it happen, and this is what you have to do. And maybe, I mean, sign and trade. I, yeah, you trade. <laughs> not, Between not, not and Bridges and a first for Jimmy Butler in a, in a sign and trade. That would be. I, that would be yeah, wild. And it probably wouldn't even work out because of all the luxury tax implications of it. And Charlotte's cap sheet is just a shit show overall. But that was, look, I just want to say to CWR, I'm assuming Carrie, um, just that was a bold question. And I dig it. I respect it. Um, oh, yeah. Love the question. Yeah. Dwayne Cunningham asks at DMAC underscore 55, what's a reasonable contract years slash dollars to keep JJ in Philly? I want to say I want to say two years between sixteen and twenty. Um, I think he gets a multi-year deal after doing these one and ones uh, every year. Um, he, you know, he got his payday up front, and now he's going to get a little more security for two years. I mean, he could he could do one more year of just you know something along the something along the lines of what he got. You know, twelve and a half million. Also a nice number for him for one year. But if I had to, if I had to put a number on it, I put between sixteen and twenty for two years. Uh, what do what do you think? Here, I think that's fair. Here's, here's what I think is a possibility that he now views. Maybe he doesn't because taking one year deals helped out the Sixers and is a risk on his part. If he views these contracts in conjunction with one another, then right now he finished up a two year thirty five point three million dollar deal. And so if you're gonna tack on where a lot of people think that he could probably get more than mid level money, maybe he doesn't view it that way because there was this mutual understanding. If you give him. 16 million, for instance, over two years. Over that four year period, it averages out to a salary of 12.9 million. So if you get them to a point where the average is around there, that's because I think $8 million might actually be cheap for him based on how well he played. Just the, I know people consider him a shooter, but he does. He shot a very good percentage on pull up threes. He's been one of the best pick and roll scorers um, in the game over the past two seasons with Philly. If, if that's what you can do, if it's between 16 and 20, I'm not going to say it's a bargain, but it definitely helps ensure that it doesn't get ridiculous. So I'm with you there, and I'm just wondering if that's what the Sixers set out to do by offering him that initial deal when he was paid $23 million, and then he got another 12.3. So now he, when they come back to the bargaining table, he's able to kind of view this next two- or three-year commitment in the macro as one big four- or five-year deal. Yeah, and I mean, and you you nailed it exactly. I mean, he was a productive player this year, so that's a that kind of deal is a win for the Sixers. Um, he might get more than that. I mean, he, they might come back and give him actual market value, um, and they have the ability to do that. They can go over the cap for him. So, uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of whether he's willing to take that discount, and he might. You know, like for all the reasons you just mentioned. <laughs> this I'm just going to look for a yes or no question from because I'm I'm looking at 
his profile and wondering if he's a, a sell up. Oh, yep. And he is uh, John oh, Marcus, a, a Celtics fan. Okay. Yeah. At John Marcus nine, since Simmons can't shoot from the fielder foul line and B can't stay healthy. Should the Sixers begin the process part two? Oh, <laughs> if you're a Boston fan. They should absolutely begin the process part two. Um, Boston might be having their own process um, this summer. Kyrie <laughs> leaves, <laughs> but um, no, I, I think you got to ride it out. I mean, Simmons just has so much upside that you can you can build a whole team around him and still make the playoffs in the East if you had if you had the right pieces. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> this question, and I have the numbers uh, pulled up for it, but I've actually found this to be an interesting question. Ryan at Ryan underscore S underscore golf G O F F. Are they better with Butler on the floor without Harris or better with Harris on the floor without Butler? Uh, it depends who else is on the floor too. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of like the pairings, right? You want to pair, um, you know, you know, you want to pair at least two of these stars on, uh, on, on the floor at any given time, hopefully. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I think Butler's just a better player. He can do more. Harris fits in more roles easier, and he's better at most of those roles, right? Butler's, you know, Butler needs a ball in his hands to be the most effective effective version of himself. Um, so I think I really think that's like more of a complicated question. But yeah, I would say I guess I would say Butler if I had to pick the two of them. Where, where, where do you lean? No, it would be, and the numbers are going to support this. It would be Butler because I, I you nutshelled it perfectly. He can carry lineups. Tobias Harris can complement most lineups and so there's just going to be more inherent value in carrying lineups uh, particularly if the Sixers are going to use him as a primary ball handler more often and so I went by the playoffs since the sample size are smaller but it doesn't really matter because the sample size won't be much bigger in the regular season post Tobias Harris trade anyway um, when the Sixers in the playoffs had Butler on the court without Tobias Harris they had a net rating of 17.2 120.5 offensive rating, 103.3 defensive rating. When Tobias Harris was on the court without Butler, uh, the Sixers were a minus 21.1 points per 100 possessions, uh, 95.1 offensive rating, 116.2 defensive rating. And you talked about lineup composition in these situations. Most of Harris's time without Butler on the court in the playoffs came beside both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. So that really kind of speaks to the importance of jimmy butler and that that's a smart decision by brett brown i mean he he fits well with those guys i mean he, he's gonna fit well with a lot of guys uh, i put him similar to how i like how i kind of talk about Draymond green right he's not going to be the top scorer which is why you know when he gets his when he gets a gaudy contract people are going to roll their eyes but if you look at a team like you would a business right you need top salespeople, and that's why you have butler and you have you have joel and even simmons to some extent and the guys in the back end your finance guys you know, Harris is a finance guy, same way that that Draymond Green is. And if you have one of the top guys at doing their job, that's really valuable for a franchise. And that's that's why you know I think Harris Harris, Harris is going to probably get the max, and he's, he's going to fit well next to these guys. And uh, that's why Brett Brown put him, you know, basically put him out there next to these guys in the playoffs. We have I agree with you. Um, these are going to be our final three questions. Tyler Adams at Pizza Lover Ty. Two parts. He wants to know how expensive the luxury tax bill would be if they re-signed all four of their players to big contracts. I'm assuming he just means, you know, Tobias, Butler, Embiid, and Simmons. And would you consider moving Simmons 
or letting one of Jimmy and Tobias Harris walk if the tax bill would be too high to field a team that expensive? I'll answer the first part. It's impossible to know what the luxury tax bill would be. Um, in they can stay out of the tax next season, and they're going to have to if they want to use the full mid level. The season after that is the one that we're questioning. And so, like we said before, if you max out Harris and Butler, um, and then you max out Simmons, it's going to cost anywhere between one thirty or and one thirty five about for those four players, and that's against a one sixteen salary cap. I believe the tax that year is one forty two or or something like that. So you would be a tax team pretty easily if you round out the roster with any type of NBA talent. So I'll throw it to you on that second part. Would uh, would you and the the luxury tax threshold that year is actually 148.1 million. I, I undersold it. Would you consider letting one of Harris and Butler walk in anticipation of that being such an expensive year? Uh, I, I almost think you have to cross that bridge when you come to it because you, you really just want them. You want more sample size of this team. And if this team ends up being a team that's going to lead the Eastern Conference and, and, and make the finals next year, then you pay it. You just pay it. And you, you say, I'm in the business of putting the best team out there. What you don't want to do is pay that for a team that can't get out of the second round. Or even maybe, maybe you know, who knows how the East looks next year and what, where they rank. Um, but, yeah, no, I think you bring them all back, cause especially you're not paying luxury tax next year. Not right. until Simmons' extension kicks in. So, uh that's down the line. And it's also worth noting that, you know, the luxury tax and the salary cap, it's all projected right now. You know, it, it's not expected to change, but there could be changes there. You know, even if you nudge it up a little bit uh, where you, where you, where you, some of those worries aren't there anymore. And I think just the overarching point there is you worry about it when the time comes. And you, you certainly wouldn't let, to me, Harris or Butler walk over this if they're willing to come back. You would then... I would never salary dump a star to begin with, but you can look at moving them for actual assets if it comes to it. Oh yeah, no, you have you have like six or seven teams that are willing to pay Tobias Harris the max. If you pay him the max, he's worth something to them, right? So if you need to get rid of that 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 last guy or what you perceive as that last guy or whoever whatever they decide to uh, kind of divvy it up and, and 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 break it up, you can do that at that point. These guys these guys aren't untradeable. Or they shouldn't be, unless, you know, uh, some sort of catastrophic injury happens, God, yeah. God forbid. Uh, this is actually, this is just a throw-in I found. I just laughed because it just popped up from Justin Carter at Just Carts. How many contract, max contracts should they offer to Mike Scott? I think they're, <laughs> I think they should call him um, at 6 p.m. Pacific time on the dot offering his max, which I believe is $32.7 million. So Can you can you imagine if, if that's the first call they make and he gets that call and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's for the minimum? It's just Jimmy Butler <laughs> pranking him, though. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's, it's not even Elton Brand. It's, it's just, yeah, Jimmy Butler calls Mike Scott. Elton Brand can't get a hold of Jimmy Butler because <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Butler's on the line with Mike Scott. <laughs> uh, these two are just basically short, predictive ones because we've talked them to death. From Frank at Raps All Day, 614. Do you think Simmons and Embiid can work together in the future? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, they're both going to have to get better at shooting from the outside. I know Terrell really needs to be in the paint to have to do do what he does best. But um, I mean, the game the game the game calls for a big man who can shoot. And regardless of whether all the moves he has in the post, he he needs to work on his shooting and become more efficient out there. Simmons obviously does too. So I think you know, as long as as long as they both work towards that, they're they can make it work. Yeah, it's, it's definitely more important for Simmons, though. I think that's if we want to stop having to ask the question of can they fit or should they consider 
breaking this up, or if there's any type of artificial ceiling on their potential together, it's only going to be broken to me by Ben Simmons either having like an off-the-dribble mid-range game or being an, an okay, even 30% set shooter from beyond the arc. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I said, they're both going to have to work at it, though, right? Like, I mean, this isn't going to this isn't going to come with the game they have now. So, if, if they both come back and they're the exact same as they were last year, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna look at this and say this isn't working. But I mean, it's, it's kind of like a marriage, right? You need both sides to, to be all in, and um, you know, you you hope that that happens uh, with, with with this pairing and with this team. Final question comes from Michaela at Title City Boston. And this is this is the simplest one, but I think it's the most important one. Does Butler come back next season? What is your official? We talked about it. What is your official uh, super soaker filled with mayonnaise and water to the head prediction? <laughs> oh, you know, a week ago I said I, I was talking to a friend and he was asking me the same question. I said I said I think he's going to be on the Nets. And you know, as I sit here now, uh, after another week, I'm. I want to say that I want to say they bring him back. I mean, there was reports that they're going to offer him the max, and I, you know, I, I believe they're going to have to. The other teams will. Um, so I guess my my, my year, own maybe they don't team. have to. Yeah, the fifth year thing is I I don't think that happens, right? And I think he's going to look at situations around the league and say, where do I want to go, and can I get you know I I can't get the fifth year there. So if all things else are equal, does he stay where you know he seems happy, or does he does he just leave? Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he stays. My confidence level is like 51, 49, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's, but yeah, so <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> you mentioned the Nets, and I actually picked them as a good destination for Butler. People, I think any outside team that could poach a star, no one wants their first option to be Jimmy Butler. But if you're the Nets and you look at how well they've managed minutes, um, I actually think that that's a place Brooklyn that Jimmy Butler would age quite well. Yeah, if Jimmy goes to the Nets, I think Kyrie goes there too. I think if Jimmy leaves, uh, so you have them getting kind of rid of D'Angelo Russell, then. Yeah, I think, and, and and maybe you're looking at a situation where both sides are looking at each other, like maybe this makes sense for a sign and trade. Look, I am here for the Knicks not getting any stars in free agency, and if they don't get Kyrie, they're probably not going to get Kevin Durant. So, um, oh no, no, I think it's the other way though. I think I think Kevin Durant goes there. I still think Kevin Durant goes by himself. There. I don't know. I don't see it. Oh no, I got. Uh, I think you're going to see him with either Kemba Walker or Anthony Davis. These are these are my uh, these are my May 31st predictions, <laughs> <laughs> subject to change. But but yeah, no. Uh, but I I, I mean I, I I'm I'm pretty confident in my prediction about Kevin Durant. I mean, and this is not any sources or anything like that. But like, this is just you know kind of my feel and, and just talking with different people. And look, if you and ask a hundred people around the NBA where Kevin Durant is going, ninety five to ninety eight eight of them are going to tell you the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This the only thing we didn't talk about, and I had him bolded, which is why I didn't name him the free agents. Boban is he just gone, or is this a situation where just Tobias offered to take shave a little off the top of his contracts so that him and Bobi could stay together? I don't know how it happens. I mean, so you know, they could bring him back, right? They're going to definitely probably renounce his cap hold. They're probably going to have to, unless you know, unless unless they sign all their their max guys first, sign Redick, and then and then give Boban some sort of deal that's above the minimum. I'm not sure Bobin is a is a any but any a player that that warrants a deal above the minimum. Uh and so yeah, it depends on the number. You need more of a spread big if behind Joel Embiid, in my opinion. You need like a spread big or maybe more of a rim runner. So like uh Jalil Ogafor. 
2020 is the year. Um, uh, I, I, I'm proud of myself. I made it over an hour without uh, whatever. Look, he made you. He made you look pretty. He made you look pretty good in New Orleans. I will say that. No, I have. I have. I have my seven games of uh of bloating. But no, it's a. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think he would have played in the playoffs for him over over Greg Monroe. But I mean, that's like you know, you're really not looking at any sort of uh, any sort of great options there. Yeah, that's too intense of a rabbit hole for me. I think that's a good place to stop. Um, <laughs> uh, Chris Kraus, everybody, thank you for coming on and talking Sixers and Anthony Davis trade assets with us. If you're not following him on Twitter yet, again, remedy that immediately. He's at NBA Kraus. That's at NBA C R O U S E. He covers the NBA at Hoops Rumors. He's also a contributor to CNBC. So. Uh, check out his stuff there. And he is now officially also a frequent f- friend slash guest of the Hardwood Knox podcast. So if you were waiting for um, the non-achievement of a lifetime, there it is. What would be the, what would be the appropriate um, like guest gift? Like not like a jacket. I don't think this is like a jacket situation. I think maybe like a, is this like a mug or like or like would you like a five time if we get to that sort of level? Like like some com- commemorative, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Commemorative pen? toilet paper. That's what you'll get. Oh, there, there you go. That, that's probably it right there, yeah. <laughs> um, we will be pestering you soon to come back on at some point. Thanks for giving us an, an hour of your time. Until next time, I leave everybody else with a shout-out to the one, the only, the legendary, the mythical Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.